Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week's an exciting week because we've got a new movie to review. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, three Oscar winners teaming up in a new crime thriller. Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto star in The Little Thing. And on that front, what's it like to attend a virtual screening? We'll tell you. Plus, I'll tell you about the number one show on Netflix, Fate, The Winks Saga. After two months and four victims, you don't have a suspect. Things probably changed a lot since he left. You still got to catch him, right? Not that much has changed then. I want to nail him. I want to nail him too. Can I help you? Difference is, I'm doing it for me. It's the little things, Jimmy. It's the little things that rip you apart. It's the little things that get you caught. We watched The Little Things this week. Now, usually in the normal times, Warner Brothers would hold a preview screening at a theater in each city for the critics and people who win tickets on the radio station and that sort of thing. But those aren't happening anymore, so we screened it in our homes, and we'll have more on that part of it a little bit later. But let's talk about the movie. The Little Things is written and directed by John Lee Hancock, who's directed such films as The Blind Side and Saving Mr. Banks. He also wrote the movie A Perfect World, which is an excellent Clint Eastwood, Kevin Costner film, one of my favorites from both of those guys. The Little Things is set in California, mostly in L.A. in 1990. Why? No reason given. I thought maybe it was based on a book, but it's not. I do have a sneaking suspicion it has to do with technology. I think for crime movies, they like to go back a few years pre-internet, pre-cell phones, pre-widespread surveillance cameras to keep it interesting. There are a lot of movies where the problem would be solved in two minutes if they had cameras everywhere or cell phones, that sort of thing. In this movie... In modern times, probably some surveillance cameras would have helped the case get solved more quickly. We meet Denzel Washington's Joe Deacon, a.k.a. Deke. He's an aged sheriff's deputy in rural California, lives alone in a rundown home with a scrappy dog, and he looks like the world's done a number on him. And right now I want to say this, I was not prepared to see old Denzel. He is 66 now, and this is the first thing I've seen him in where I really thought, wow, now he's an old man. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, there's no getting around it anyways. And if it's going to bring us a decade of world-weary Washington performances, I am here for it. So his boss sends him to Los Angeles to collect evidence for some case, and that task brings him into the offices of, I want to say, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. They're not the LAPD because they get into a jurisdictional beef with the LAPD at one point. It wasn't clear who they are. There's some kinds of sheriffs, but they're in the city. They are proper big city homicide detectives, and they all know Deke. Clearly, he used to work there. Clearly, it was not his decision decision to leave. This police department, by the way, is staffed by at least half a dozen people that you will definitely recognize. There are maybe two speaking parts in this whole movie where I had not seen the actor before. It's just a smorgasbord of that guy's. The young hotshot detective in the department is played by Rami Malek. He's trying to track down a serial killer who's killed a handful of women in the past month. Deke thinks that some of the details of those crimes are similar to a case that he had worked there years ago and never solved. And despite their differences and some mild animosity, the two grudgingly team up on the case. Deke, though, not not officially working on it. It's just this obsession with him. It clearly was part of the reason he left the department. So they team up and what follows is a pretty standard crime thriller stuff. Dead end leads, some suspense, some raised eyebrows, all those things. Jared Leto becomes a suspect at one point and clearly relishes in the opportunity to get weird. Although honestly, not as weird as I was expecting because he can be a pretty weird guy in everyday life. He did make himself look pretty grungy, which is not an easy task as he is 
hands down one of the prettiest people on the planet. And I think he added some weight, maybe. He's the kind of actor that would add weight for a role, but it also sort of looked like he was just wearing a padded belly at times. Not sure about that. Rami Malek is the interesting casting here, though. He's just got a look and a vibe that I sort of equate with guys like Ed Harris or Robert Patrick from Terminator 2, where... Even if they are, you know, in some cases, the good guys in a movie, you still don't totally trust them. There's just putting something out there, intentional or not, that makes you think, you know, they're no angel. There's just no no softness to them. Now, that can be a very awesome thing to have in a crime thriller when you're not really sure who's who and what's what. So I was happy to see Rami Malek in this. And like I said before, I'm all in on older Denzel Washington. He and Tom Hanks are not young men anymore, and that's just something I have to get used to, apparently. During this pandemic, especially early on, Brett, I was watching a lot of Tony Scott movies, and of course, a lot of those movies starred Denzel. So another crime thriller with him was right up my alley. Now, this is not as action-y or generally kinetic as a Tony Scott movie, but still I was excited about it, and uh, it is a little slow, and it is just too long. It's, it's set in 1990, and a lot of of it sort of feels like a 90s movie as a basic nuts and bolts crime thriller. The 90s were just rife with those and you don't see a lot of them anymore. And sometimes this felt like a throwback in that way. Uh, and it might have, you know, more so if they had cut 20 minutes out of, which I think they easily could have. I suspect in the 90s, the ending would have been different as well. Uh, I am sad to say the ending did not really work for me. I found it to be quite a bit of a letdown. I had a couple of, you know, different theories in my head as to how this was all going to play out. And then the real ending just didn't even live up to that. So there, there was one real one reveal at the end that changed some of the perspective of the story that I thought did work. So it wasn't like it was a terrible ending. It just wasn't as good as I was hoping for. Overall, I did enjoy the just over two hours of the movie. I, I don't know that I'd pay the exorbitant rental fee for it this weekend. If you want to watch it at home, I think it's $28 or something. It's something you can definitely wait a couple of months to see when it's at a regular rental fee. But it's a pretty involving watch with some great actors doing their thing. They're little things. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for the little things, Brett. What do you think? Yeah, it's a $25 rental fee on various video on demand platforms. Right. You should be able to get it through your cable, for example, or Prime Video will have it. Apple TV will probably have it. So there are no shortage of options because this is one of those Warner Brothers movies that they're debuting on HBO Max, right? That's going to play in movie theaters where movie theaters are open, but it's also going to be on HBO Max for at least the first month, and this was the first one. So, like, I was super excited when I saw the promo for this during the NFL games last Sunday. Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, Jared Leto, a new movie. And then when Warner's invited us to the virtual screening, I thought, sign me up, yo. And then I saw the Rotten Tomatoes score, and I thought, no. I felt like Michael Scott, like, no! Please, no, 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 no. And um, I was hoping Toby. to disagree. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping to disagree with the collective assessment. I think it was like 48% last time I checked. Hang on, let me just pull it up. Yeah, so as of Thursday afternoon when we are recording this, the little things is at 48%. I was hoping to disagree, but um, I ag agree. I, I was kind of bored with this movie. Interesting story. Denzel was great as always, but it just, it felt kind of clumsy to me the way they chose to tell this story because it wasn't so much a forward-moving mystery as it was sort of the ongoing mystery and plot combined with this slow reveal of Denzel's past and each story, I think, sort of took the wind out of the other's sails. At least that's how it felt for me. I love Rami Malek, but 
I personally felt like he was miscast in this role because I think he's just almost too weird a guy to play a straight up detective. Like he, he nothing he says is just sort of straightforward. Like there's no, I, I felt like the character was kind of a no nonsense guy and, and he's just too enigmatic for that. Yeah. Not that I didn't enjoy him at all, but it just, it felt weird to me at times. Well, he's going to be the bad guy in the James Bond movie if we ever get to lay our eyes on that James Bond movie. And that that seems like a lane he's going to be very good in as a, as a Bond villain. Yeah, yeah, because he's going to be able to ham it up and he's going to be able to be as creepy as he wants. Exactly. So that'll be a perfect role for him. Jared Leto is also always great. And he, he's so creepy. His character is just like so creepy. You got to wonder, like, how does this guy maintain a normal job? Who would want to work <laughs> with this guy? I would be constantly looking over my shoulder if that weirdo was down the hall. And I'm just left with so many questions. You know, like like you, Jeff, I the ending just let me down. And the questions I'm left with, it's not like in a good way. You know, sometimes you leave a movie and you've got all sorts of questions, but the, because that's the movie has presented you with material that's making you question, you know, not just the movie, but life itself. In this one, I'm just wondering, like, what happened here? I don't, I don't get it. I want answers, but I can't reveal for what I want answers without ruining the film. Overall, for me, it was just okay. And I'm going <sighs> to... I'm still waffling on this. I'm going to give it three... <laughs> Couch cushions out of five because the performances were good overall. Even though Rami Malek felt kind of weird, he's still Rami Malek, so he's great. And I kind of wonder if I would have enjoyed this more had I watched it in the movie theater. So we're going to talk about that next. What's it like going to a virtual movie screening? You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Talking about the little things. It's out this weekend. The new movie with Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. Warner Brothers movie that's debuting in theaters where theaters are open. And it's also debuting on HBO Max in the United States, which means in Canada, you can rent it for 25 bucks on whatever premium video on-demand platform you want. $25 might seem like a lot, but again, if you're... If you're watching it with, with somebody or, you, well, I was going to say watching it with a family, but this definitely is not a family movie. <laughs> I mean, Come on, I'm, kids. Let's uh, <laughs> see all those cut up people on TV. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that 25 bucks, you know, it might not be to your liking. However, it is now available for rent. We watched it earlier, courtesy of Warner Brothers, inviting us to a virtual screener. Instead of going down on a Wednesday night and standing in line for an hour, we just got to watch it at home. So, Ron, what did you think? Uh, I, it's it was much more comfortable watching it at home. Obviously, I will, you know, I, I'll go to. I'd much rather go to the theater for any movie at any time, basically, and certainly for something like this. I I, I really did miss the theater experience, but again, this it was good to you know I could hit pause and take a bathroom break and not miss any of the movie. That happens to me more times than I care to admit. Often during a critical times when something important is revealed like uh i don't know that kylo ren is the son of han solo i missed that because i was in the washroom once and i was like wait what's going on now i was baffled by star wars that day anyway so so there are there is you know a silver lining to watching it on my couch but i mean i'll take the movie theater for sure every time yeah if this is the future of going to the movies i don't want it like i will admit 
it was kind of nice to not have to go stand in line for an hour or an hour and a half because those screening, those screenings in particular are always on weeknights. And Jeff, you and I both work at uh, 4 or 4.30 a.m. So yep. going out on a weeknight, having to get there early enough just to secure a spot is a pain. And then depending on how long the movie is, you might not get out of there until 9, 9.30. Do I hear 10 o'clock? So that's tough. Um, so it was nice to just be able to press play on at, at 5 p.m. our time because the screener began at 6 p.m. Eastern and we had four hours to watch it. So there was enough of a window there for us to press pause and take an intermission or whatever if we needed. But it just lacked the energy uh, now, going to a screener in particular, those tend to be always exciting because these are people who either really want to see the movie or they just like going to the movies for free. But, you know, it's an event where the first people in the city to see this movie, like en masse at least, uh, and, but whether it's a screener or opening weekend or whatever, there's an energy in being in the movie theater with those other people, sharing that experience with other people that can enhance how much you like the movie. Like, for example, a perfect example would be Jackass number two. When that came out years ago, I saw that as part of a screening. So packed theater, watching this ridiculously stupid movie of these guys hurting themselves and hurting each other. And it, we were just laughing and laughing and laughing. My stomach hurt from laughing so much. It was hysterical. And then when I later rewatched part of it at home by myself... I didn't laugh once, so I don't know if that's because I'd already seen it and I knew the gags, or it's just because the collective laughter made that movie a more pleasant experience. So absolutely, uh, th- that's going to be a real problem with comedies. We haven't, se- I haven't seen a comedy screener at home yet, but um, comedies and probably horror movies are especially made better with a huge crowd on a big screen. Good point. Yeah, the comedies. I still, to this day, kick myself for having not gone to see The Hangover on the big screen uh, because I thought it was hysterical just watching it with a friend, never mind being in a room full of people. And you're right, horror movies too. Horror movies are great because I, I um, I tend to laugh at how scared I get. Like if I get jumpy, I end up laughing at myself or I find yeah. myself giggling at the reactions of other people. So that's part of the fun is seeing how... Other people will react. And uh, there's also just kind of a strength in numbers sort of deal <laughs> when you watch a horror movie. Like, I don't Absolutely. like to watch scary movies when I'm at home alone. So going to a movie theater makes me feel a little bit better. The couple of horror ones that I have seen in theater, and I especially remember with Seven, because at that moment, that was by far the scariest movie I'd ever seen in a movie theater. I mean, it was only like 19 years old when it came out anyways. And I did feel a little bit better. It's like, okay, at least there's other people in here. And everyone, you know, shot back in their seats at the same time when the, the dried up guy moved in his bed. So I was like, yep. Glad I saw that with people around and not at home because that would have been bad. The other thing for me is, though, I think... I maybe like this movie a little more than I would have if I had gone to the theater because you don't give up anything when you're watching it at home. I'm just sitting on my couch anyways, and now there's a movie on in front of me, fine. It's not like I went through the effort of you know having to shower and get dressed and get in the car and drive down to the theater and stand in line. And if it wasn't uh, you know on a regular situation, if I had paid money for it, so then I would have been a little bit more disappointed in this movie, I think, because it, you know, it cost me more, but... This to for them to you know stream us a free movie 
at home didn't cost me anything. So I think I was I probably a little more lenient on the movie than I otherwise would have been. Good point. Good point. And uh, also for me, it just wasn't the same as watching a brand new movie on your normal TV uh, because it obviously you can't replicate the big screen experience at home, no matter how large your television is at home, unless you've got like a 120 inch screen that you can project onto your wall or whatever. But uh, like when I was watching Wonder Woman 1984, it just felt so underwhelming because this is the first time I'm seeing this superhero movie, which is meant for the big screen. I'm watching it on my 42 inch TV. And then after watching the little things, it got to the point where I said, that's it. Enough is enough. I need a new TV. So I ordered a 65 inch TV. So hopefully that helps because this is not going to be the last movie that we end up watching at home as opposed to a movie theater, no doubt. And even the popcorn I ate at home, just not the same. I know it was just garbage microwave popcorn. <laughs> and that's not like of all the mic- of all the popcorns out there for home consumption, microwave is not the best. But I miss movie popcorn. I miss going to the movie. So I hope that's the point. My point is, I hope this does not become the future of the movie industry where because if if movies are made available to stream all the time, then I could see the big screen disappearing. But you can let us know what you think, Couch Potato 68 on Twitter. Up next, Godzilla versus Kong has us both excited. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Just after it was announced, the release date for Godzilla versus Kong was being fast-tracked by two months. The first official trailer was a release this week. The world needs them. Stop what's coming. And this child, she's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so I made a promise to protect her. And I think that in some way, Kong did the same. Now, besides the two title characters, Godzilla vs. Kong also stars the following humans, Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, Kyle Chandler, and Lance Reddick. It's the fourth in the MonsterVerse saga following 2014's Godzilla, 2017's Kong Skull Island, and 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters. And in this one, they finally face off against each other. The series has been alluding to it, and now it's happening. Kong is way bigger in this movie than he was in Skull Island. That was set in 1973, and he was said to be still growing. Now it's the present day. He is full grown and about the same size as Godzilla, so big monkey. And it looks like a fun fight. Those other movies are not great, but they're very watchable, and actually Skull Island is very funny as well. I really like that one. They're not pretending to be anything they aren't. They're pure spectacle, and they know it. Godzilla vs. Kong is scheduled to be theatrically released internationally on March 26th, and in the U.S. on March 31st, where it will also be released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max as part of Warner Brothers' continuing thing with that. Uh, so the question two months out now is whether or not the theaters will be open for us, Brett, and others in Canada. This one is sort of begging for a big screen, so I hope that does happen. And again, I don't think I would pay you know $25 to watch it at home, but I'll gladly pay 12 bucks to see it in theaters. These are dangerous times. Godzilla's out there and he's hurting people and we don't know why. Yeah. Something provoking him that we're not seeing here. I'm of the same opinion. The myths are real. There was a war. And they're the last ones standing. You know your popcorn and drink cost you another 15 bucks on top of the $12 for the ticket, right? I do. So you're basically paying the same 
And but I don't get the good movie theater popcorn or a drink. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, and you're right. This one is is for sure begging to be seen on a big screen. There are some movies that you can get away with, you know, just settling to watch it at home. But if I can't see this one on the big screen, I will be very sad. I'm super excited about it, though, because uh, the trailer got me so pumped to see it. It looks ridiculous. It looks silly. And it looks crazy fun i mean that was the whole point as you pointed out this this is just spectacle and i'm hoping it kind of redeems itself did you see godzilla king of the monsters i did and i actually i that was got just panned horribly by critics i believe i actually i didn't mind it too much but i also went in with very low expectations my expectations were low too and i was still bored by it which <laughs> which was a disappointment because i enjoyed 2014's godzilla Quite a bit, not as much as I had hoped, but I still enjoyed it. So I was kind of let down by King of the Monsters. But So I think Kong Skull Island of the, the first three has been my favorite so far. So it's going to be fun to see the two of them lock horns and go head-to-head. So here's we'll see what happens at the end of March this year. And uh, before we talk about Fate the Winks saga, why don't we jump to your Tenet review and just say that the first three segments of The Couch Potatoes so far have been sponsored by Warner Brothers. <laughs> that's all we've talked about so far is Warner Brothers properties. <laughs> all right. Like we said, I rewatched the movie this week. And now it's time for a re-review of Tenet. You're not shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Whoa. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. It's inverted. Someone's manufacturing them in the future. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. Tenet is a spy action thriller movie starring John David Washington, son of Denzel Washington, as the hero spy who teams up with Robert Pattinson to try to take down an arms dealer, played by Kenneth Branagh, who is somehow in cahoots with bad guys in the future and plotting the annihilation of the planet. All right, there was, you know, a lot of talk about Tenet last year. It really is sort of, you know, the movie of the pandemic, at least the first year of the pandemic while every other movie was getting pushed back because of covid either in- incrementally like james bond or swiftly and drastically like fast and furious 9 christopher nolan kept insisting tenet would play in theaters last summer and it did get pushed back a bit a week at a time but ultimately opened in the smattering of north american theaters that it could last august and september we had a chance to go see it as our local theaters were open at the time and We were both flabbergasted, Brett. One, the movie's confusing as hell, period. It just is. It is smart. It is clever and all that. But it is overly complicated and hard to follow. And that's under pristine conditions. Which brings us to number two. The audio mix is ridiculous. Everyone mumbles throughout the movie and the music or sound effects drown out a lot of it anyway. Some of the drowning out is a stylistic choice and is really neither here nor there. But the mumbling and the general muddiness of the dialogue sound made an already you know, too hard to follow plot that much harder to follow. So we each gave it a bad review because we did not want, we just didn't know what was going on with this movie. I suspected there might be a good movie in there. I was just bummed out. I couldn't tell what it was. Brett, you were uh, less forgiving than I was. You almost walked out of the theater, didn't you? I did walk out more than once, but I just walked out uh, to get some fresh air, I think twice, and I fell asleep. I took like a 45-minute nap during that movie because 30 (laughs) minutes in, I gave up. I realized I have no idea what's going on. I can't understand a single word they're saying. So the the first 30 minutes was a wash. The whole thing was a wash for me. I just sat there. If I was there alone, 
I would have walked yeah. out, but I was there with a friend, so I, I just sat there and waited till it ended. Had a nice air-conditioned nap in the hot summertime. Yep. Good, not bad. Not a bad way to spend a couple hours. <laughs> Director Nolan, meantime, was talking like it's all on purpose and it's more important to feel the movie than to follow the story. Uh, what? No, sir. For one thing, there is nothing to feel in this movie. I've, I've rarely seen a movie that's as cold and heartless as this thing. There's no character development. There's barely any characterization at all, other than for maybe Kenneth Branagh's bad guy who's so hammy and cartoony that you just laugh at him anyways. Uh, I do like the idea of taking a mega-budget IMAX summer blockbuster and trying to make like an art action movie or something, but this ain't it. So... The Blu-ray has since been released, and I got my hands on it this week, and I thought, well, I'll give Tenet another shot with the home viewing benefits of being able to rewind parts as I went along, and most importantly, the subtitles. The subtitles will tell me what they're saying. What they're saying will help me follow along. It's worth a shot. And after watching it with subtitles, I got to say I'm a little more miffed about the sound quality because, yes, there actually is a pretty good movie in there. I honestly went from maybe 30 to 40% comprehension in theater to 85 to 90% comprehension on second viewing with subtitles and rewinding and pausing to, you know, stop and figure things out. It's a very clever story with a truly crazy premise with all the backwards moving things and the backwards moving timelines and stuff. I, I do think even if the sound were crisp and clean, this movie is still too convoluted. Um, maybe that's why he actually went the way he did with the sound. He realized no one can truly follow it properly on first viewing anyway. I might as well lean into it as some sort of weird experiment with non-audible dialogue. The real disheartening thing is it could have easily stayed clever and everything, but be easier to comprehend with just a couple of changes. There are really just a couple of scenes where someone says something very important very quickly and they move on where they should just take, you know, 30 more seconds, flesh it out a bit so we get it. That and a cleaner dialogue mix, and he's got himself a great movie there. And, and I don't mind movies that get better with repeated viewings. I mean, my favorite directors are the Coen brothers, and all of their movies are better the second time around. However, they are also enjoyable the first time around and comprehensible the first time around. They just have so much uh, depth and layer to them that every time you rewatch it, you get more. This will, honestly, it'll take probably five subtitled viewings of Tenet to really have everything click. So uh, I'll stick with my original grade, which was a, an optimistic um, three couch cushions out of five for Tenet as it is. All right. And for me, yeah, I was curious. First of all, I salute you for going back to rewatch that. I it's was two and a half hours long. Ugh. Woo. Yeah. I, I kind of was curious to borrow that Blu-ray and, and try it, my hand at it. But I thought, you know what? I don't care enough. Like, I was just so disgusted with the way Christopher Nolan was, was talking about why are people making such a big deal out of the audio mix? Like, are you, have you lost your mind, dude? You're, you're yeah. making movies on purpose so that people can't follow them? Like, that just, I, I don't know what planet he's living on anymore. I feel like he's gone off the deep end or he's just so full of himself that he thinks he can get away with this stuff. Like if you're not making movies for your audience, then what are you doing? I, I don't know. It yeah, just... and, and why are they giving him like $200 million to do that with? Like, I mean, he has since severed ties with Warner Brothers ostensibly over their decision to, you know, boot everything to HBO Max. But part of me almost wonders if Warner Brothers wasn't just happy to get rid of the guy because like... What what's the point of being in the Christopher Nolan business at this point if Tenet's the movie he's going to make? Yeah, so 
I don't know. We'll just, uh, I might rewatch it one day, but I think I'll just wait for his next project, uh, which will probably also have a terrible audio mix. Up and next- it probably will be all black, like no <laughs> visuals. It's just black and muddied sound. <laughs> Up next, please. what's the top show on Netflix Canada and should you watch it? I'll tell you in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. If you're like me and you like to check the top 10 on Netflix, you will have seen this week that the number one show since it debuted last Friday, January 22nd, is something called Fate the Winks Saga. Magic lives in the very fabric of nature. Never thought I'd meet one of us out here in the wild. Wow, you are so lost. You must be a fairy. I am a fairy. One of our kind. Your first year is all about the element you were born with. This is something you'll learn your first day in class. Fairy magic. Holy shit. Is linked to emotion. Love. Hatred. Fear. The stronger the emotion, the stronger the magic. Today you get to learn to use your magic. You focus. You learn, you grow. Eventually the answers will come. So I ignored this at first. I watched a chunk of the trailer. I saw that it was a show for younger audiences and just kind of blew it off. But the more I thought about it and the more it kept popping up on Netflix every time I opened it, I realized, you know what? I'm basically a child with my level of maturity. I love this stuff. Why am I ignoring it? So I took a look at it to find out what the fuss is about. It's based on an Italian-American cartoon that debuted back in 2004 called The Winx Club. Winx, by the way, spelled W-I-N-X. I have never heard of that show, but it was on for years, over 200 episodes of this thing. So this live-action version is said to be a bit darker, a bit grittier, a bit more mature. So I suppose kind of like Riverdale. That's that CW Netflix adaptation of Archie Comics. Or maybe you could just say that this is a show that is aimed at those who were once younger and watched the show growing up. Now that audience is older, so they can enjoy the Winx Club in a new way. Our main character is Bloom, whom we learn is a fairy. She's been sent to this school called Althea, which, like Harry Potter, you know, they've got Hogwarts, a school that teaches magic, and Althea teaches its students to harness their magical abilities. Bloom is a fire fairy. She can create and control fire. She has four main friends. One of them can manipulate water, another one light, the other one earth, and the other is a mind fairy. She's an empath who can feel, actually feel, people's emotions. And one of the reasons they need training is so they can protect the other world. Do you know why the barrier exists? To protect the school from burned ones. Be thankful you've never seen a burned one. The other world is where this is set, by the way. Like, Bloom comes from Earth, and the other world is just another realm, uh, another dimension. So, yeah, there are burned ones. Imagine a person, but bigger, faster, meaner, stronger, and that person looks like they've been burned to a crisp. They're out there. They're just outside the force field the school has set up to protect it. And it seems they're out there in greater numbers than they should be. There are also some ne'er-do-wells in the school. And then, of course, there's all those teenage emotions. It's only six episodes, so it's a quick watch. And it's a fun watch. And it's one of those instances where the Rotten Tomatoes score ended up mattering not to me because it's only at 31%. Here's the summary, by the way, from that website. Flat 
flimsy, and forgettable Fate, the Winx Saga is a fantastical flop that fails to capture the magic of its source material. Wow, that is not particularly kind. But you know what? I don't know anything about the source material, so maybe that helped because I had nothing to compare it to. I also lowered my expectations immediately because I recognized that this show kind of looks like it came out of the CW factory. You know, it's got the teenage melodrama, the super good-looking cast, the grown-ups, all the young people don't trust, etc. And look, I don't mean that as a knock on the CW. Most of their shows are just not heavy hitters dramatically. They're just fun shows. And remember, the CW was home to one of my favorite shows ever, Supernatural. So the CW knows what it does, does it well, and that's what I mean by this. Like, and wherever this was shot, just a gorgeous setting. And the set as well was gorgeous. It looks like a big budget production with some solid visual effects to boot. And I just love the formula. Like this formula, that this, the whole school for powered kids deal, whether it's Harry Potter or more recently the series The Magicians, which just wrapped up last year after four seasons. Or there was a movie t- t- from 2005 called Sky High, which was a school for superhero kids. And that's a super fun movie, by the way, if you can find it. I just, I kept waiting for the show to disappoint me. I thought this 31% rating has to come into play here. But it was, I thought, a solid mystery with some twists and turns. It had a killer fight scene in the final episode, along with an excellent cliffhanger for whenever season two comes along. So I don't know. I I don't see the problem here. This was a fun distraction, and we can all use as many of those as we can get these days. Plus, some of the criticisms involved that the show was too raunchy because there was sex and there was drugs. Okay, there were a handful of swear words. There is, yes, there is implied sexy time, but there's no nudity. We never see them in the act. We just see them getting warmed up for it. And yeah, there are a couple of students who smoke the marijuana. So what? It's clearly not a show that's aimed at little kids. It's aimed at the very least teenagers and up. So for me, the verdict, Fate the Winx Saga is a fun show. If you like shows about magic and supernatural stuff and you don't care if it's aimed at a younger audience, give it a shot. Like I said, it's six episodes, so it's not a huge investment. But because it's only six episodes... Uh, I means I'm just going to forget what happens by the time season two comes out, and that probably won't be until 2022. But yeah, Fate the Wing Saga, number one show on Netflix. I think it's worth a look if you like fun stuff. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.